Our text is Psalms chapter 1 and verse 1. Psalm chapter 1 and verse 1 is our text. As you're looking that up, I heard the story of a young lady who went to a, <clears throat> a religious rock concert, I think Hillsong or something like that. She goes, to the, she goes to the rock concert anyhow. She's got a motel. She goes over to the motel or hotel, whatever it was, and she goes up to the desk, were there any messages for me? The guy said, yeah. A young man came by here and left a message for you. She said, well, who was it? I don't know. He didn't leave his name. Or can you describe him? I said, well, he had orange spiked hair, pink tight breeches. He had a row of safety pins in different colors going all the way around the outside of his ear. He is wearing boots with extra high heels. She said, well, that could be anybody. <clears throat> now, you know, we laugh at that, but, you know, it's a shame, but these people with religious rock music have got into that. Today, in this message, we actually started, uh, last Sunday night, we started on this a little bit, on Psalms chapter 1, and talking about staying true to God as a Christian in a country in which the majority of our churches and their pastors and leaders have given themselves to the depravity of the cultural influence in how they live, and how they worship. They reject the God-given biblical command to be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. The command found in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable will of God. How do you prove that? By your life. Being holy and acceptable unto God, your life will show that. Now, having said that, there are a lot of churches today who are saying, man, we've got to have something happen in this country but they're not talking about revival as far as holiness, evangelism. They're talking about a revival of conservative politics. Now, look, I, I hold the conservative things. I, I, I'm, I'm a capitalist, you might say, in that respect. I, I believe in our Constitution here of the United States. But the revival we need in our churches is a biblical revival. So in our text we read this, Blessed is the man 
that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. <clears throat> now here's what's important. But his delight. <laughs> it's not just, okay, you're not doing those things, but what do you delight in? But his delight <clears throat> is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Well, let's have a word of prayer. Father, as we've started looking at this verse today, it's your word not mine, but I believe it. And so, Father, I pray that you direct as I preach. I pray if there's anyone in this auditorium who does not know that if they died today, that heaven's their home, I pray that today be the very day they come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray, Father, if there be one <clears throat> who is one and far from you, I pray that today be the day to come back. And we would ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, when we look at the saved moving forward, staying true to the Word of God, we hear revival meetings and a lot of people making decisions as Christians, and then all of a sudden, those things are gone in a short period of time. Maybe in a few weeks, maybe in a few months. But here, we're hearing how for that not to happen in the Christian life. It's vital for the local church. It's vital for your own Christian life that we walk according to his word. We saw here that the man is blessed that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. The counsel, that is the advice. The idea, this is what you ought to do. Have you ever had anybody say, no, you ought to do this, you ought to do that. And yet, that may not be God's will for you as what you ought to do this, you ought to do that. So as a Christian, you don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. That is a man without God or people that are not living for the Lord, not walking with God, although they may be saved. Look, you can be a Christian and be ungodly because you're not walking according to his word, not living according to his word. Yes, Christians can be ungodly. We're warned about it several times in the New Testament. And so, don't live according to the direction of their wisdom. They may be wise in worldly wisdom, but you know what? We're told in Corinthians that worldly wisdom is foolishness with God. In other words, how they live and they conduct their life, it is their way, 
what appeals to their thinking and their living and decisions are based accordingly not to the Word of God. They make life decisions based on the advice of people who are worldly. In their wisdom, they may be well trained in the wisdom of the world, and they've been successful as what man calls successful, but great failures at what God calls failure. Solomon is the wisest man, we're told. But what a mess he ended up making. Yet people came from afar to hear his wisdom. But we find that somewhere along the line, he got away from the wisdom of God and started walking in the wisdom of this world. And so, seeing the blessed man, he doesn't walk in that counsel. He always seeks the word of God, prays, and does nothing without the leading of the Lord. That is the man that is blessed by God that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, sometimes we say, oh, they're not blessed. They don't have very much. They don't have this. They don't have that. And look at what this guy has over here. It might be a lot wiser. No, not might be. It is a lot wiser to have eternity set in your heart. Because a lot of those that may be saved, but walk according to the worldly wisdom and counsel, are some that will be saved, but so as by fire, as 1 Corinthians 3 points out. God calls for faithfulness. Faithfulness to him. Faithfulness to his word. Faithfulness to his way. So he doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, but also the blessed man does not stand in the way of sinners. What do you mean stand? Oh, they're right there with those that are standing, or complaining, or whatever, be it a group or an individual. They stand side by side with them as they complain or rebel against whether it's God-ordained leadership, a church, a home, in a job. But the established things, especially in Christianity, where there are standards of righteousness, they stand in the way of sinners. By the way, that is a good description of the contemporary movement today. Standing in the way of sinners. Oh, no, preacher, they have some good songs. I mean, some of those words are good. Yeah. Do you realize that Israel made a golden calf in the name of Jehovah? God was ready to destroy them all if Moses doesn't intercede. But hey, they did it in the name of Jehovah. Adding the Lord's name to what is evil does not make it right. It never does. I mean, you can take an attic, it'll say, Oh, dear Lord, bless the acid I have today. May it really make me feel good. 
Oh, isn't he wonderful? See, that's the kind of baloney that's going on today in churches across this country. We think that the country might fall because of Marxism, Democrats, Republicans, or whatever you stand on, but really, a country falls when it turns its back on God because sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness exalteth the nation. Not the latest thing. Righteousness is what exalteth a nation, the Bible tells us. Now, you either believe that or you call God a liar, but it's one way or the other. Now, people may do well in the world, but again, they can be a cancer in the church, in the home, on the job. They'll always stand with the group that is rebelling And they'll state things that that group is particularly standing for. <laughs> and those people never stood that way in their lifetime. But they'll stand with the group that's rebelling. Learn what they're saying and say it with them. You see, that's the evil that goes along with it. It may be against the standards. It may be against the doctrines of the Bible, the church. They seem... To take a stand just with those kind. That man is not blessed of God. Now, he may have the world's blessings upon it, uh, but the worldly blessings fade away and will not satisfy. And so, they, they stand in the way of sinners. And then the last thing that we looked at was that the blessed man does not sit in the seat of the scornful. You know, the scornful, those that don't really know what's going on, don't know what's behind something, but they're going to find fault with it. Whether it's a decision, whether it's a standard, whether it's a doctrine, they're not going to stand against it on the Bible unless they can find something in the Bible they can twist. And by the way, let me tell you this. No scripture is a private interpretation, the Bible tells us. That means not one piece of scripture contradicts another piece of scripture in the Bible. And when somebody says it does, that means they're not understanding that part of the scripture. That's why... When the Bible says, whosoever will may come, I know there's a guy that really doesn't believe in the God-breathed scriptures as they should because they say, oh no, some God has predestinated to go to hell. Some he has predestinated to go to heaven, even before they were born. Why would God predestine something when he says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked? Why would he have pleasure in creating it? I mean, really, we need the wisdom of God. So, this is a person that will criticize. They'll find fault with everything, whether it's a decision of leadership in a home, on a job, or in a church. They'll criticize it. They'll find fault. 
And it's so funny is, is that they act like, oh, they were there in the entire discussion. They're part of the whole decision. And they weren't anywhere close. That is a person to avoid. That is a person the Bible instructs us to stay away from. You see, although they don't know, they'll scorn, especially if it's something that's calling for holiness, standards, and yet evangelistic visitation, witnessing, and so forth. You know, so often I find the people that make those criticisms, for some reason or another, never see them at visitation or bringing souls to God's house, unless it's a relative from out of town. And so, they always offer an opinion, and they may feel just in being able to do so and getting people to listen. They find fault. But good Christians will not do that abominable thing of being a scorner, especially of the house and people of God. Now, it's good to scorn sin. It is good to scorn evil. That is, never speak well of sin, never speak well of evil. But really, it's best to call the sinner and the evildoer to repentance and faith in Christ Jesus. Now we see a contrast from verse 1 when we go into verse 2. Because then we begin to see in verse 1 what the blessed man, the godly man does not do but in verse 2, we begin to see again what the godly man does do. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Hmm. You say, well, preacher, the law, and in his law he doth meditate day and night. Preacher, don't you remember the New Testament? Don't you remember Christ dying on the cross, being buried and raised from the dead? We're not in that era anymore. We're not under the law. Guess what? You want to see the difference between the law and this New Testament era? The law said, love your neighbor as yourself. But the New Testament, oh, that's so much easier, isn't it? Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. That's a higher love. It makes it a greater failure. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment of all commandments? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. He said that was the greatest of all commandments. The second was likened to it, love thy neighbors thyself. Now let's think about that. I've actually talked to people that said to me, Look, I'm religious, and I've been pretty good. I believe in God. I really do do well. 
I tried my best. And I really, really think God is going to take me to heaven. Now, I actually talked to a person like this one time. And listen, I'm not smart. If you've listened to me long enough, you know that. But I do know what God says, and that is smart. What Christ said is smart. And so, when he said the greatest commandment is something, whatever it is, he says that's the greatest commandment. If he says that's the greatest of all commandments, guess what? Don't you think that the greatest commandment, that means the most important to God, the first and great means what's most important to God of all commandments, what's most important to Him? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your body, and mind. So I could ask the person, so you love God even more than your baby, and you love God more than your wife or your husband, and you love God more than anything. I mean, goodness gracious, Sunday will come around, and, and, and you're going to, you've got this thing, this, this, this thing, maybe it's at the beach, maybe it's at the golf course, maybe it's somewhere else, and you're saying, oh, no, I love God so much more. I'm not going to go to those things. I'm going to be right in God's house, because I love him more than all that. And there's a host of other things that we'll say we love him more than them, and yet they'll end up taking us from him. Now, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's the Bible. That's the Bible. Now, you either agree with the Bible or you say, God, you're wrong. But the glory of God is Jesus Christ, and if you put yourself on his level, you're in for a big surprise. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Final, complete separation from God forever in the lake of fire. That's the wages of sin. I would say this, and this includes the preacher, okay? Not any of us have always obeyed the first and greatest, most important to God commandment. Loving God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our strength, our soul. No, not one of us. That's why every one of us needed a Savior. And that's one of the main reasons why you had to be saved, because you've broken what was most important to God. Don't you think if Adam and Eve had loved God as they were supposed to, Satan's commandment wouldn't have done, uh, uh, temptation wouldn't have meant anything. I mean, Eve was the one that was deceived. And when she was told, hey, pride, Hey, just think you'll be like God. Man, it's not great, you'll be like God. And she said, the fruit of the tree. She gets Adam. Adam knows it's wrong. But he also believes God about surely die. So he wants to be with Eve, and he loves Eve more than he loves God, and he partakes of the fruit. Adam wasn't deceived. The Bible's clear about that. 
but he does that and all of his, their progeny afterwards, which is us, are born sinners and in need of a savior and only Jesus Christ is that savior. And so, it all revolves revolves around the word of God. That's what the law is. You know what the Bible says about Jesus, what Jesus said about the law? He says in Matthew 5, I didn't come to do away with the law. There's a lot of people who said, well, the law was done away with when Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead. Didn't do that. That's not what Jesus said. Now, you can say Jesus was wrong. That's up to you. It's not smart. It's not wise. Completely wrong. Because, you see, Jesus said, I did not come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. By receiving him as my Lord and Savior, the law was fulfilled for me. And when I stand before the Lord one day, having received him as my Lord and Savior, I am accepted in the Beloved. That is, I'm accepted in Christ. But if a person refuses to receive Christ, guess what? The law will judge them. The law will judge them. They've rejected the salvation, and so there's a law that judges. That's why at the great white throne judgment where all those without Christ are cast into the lake of fire, there are books open, and in those books there are things written about every thought, every moment, every word, everything of your life, evil, good, whatever, it's all written there. And everyone at the white throne judgment will know since they're without Christ, they deserve to be cast in that lake of fire. Apostle Paul, Peter, each tell us not to require people, these were Jews that got saved, well, we've got to keep the law, we've got to do this, we've got to do that. No. He says, we couldn't keep the law. We can't expect man to keep the law. They've got to be saved by grace. But one thing that's written clearly in the law that was commanded also by God, be ye holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You know the word holy has the idea of separateness. You're separated from sin. You're separated from worldliness. You're separated unto God. You're not only separated from, you're separated unto. And if we don't live that life of being separated unto and we're not loving God with all of our heart, soul, and body, and mind. Well, you don't know what those people did to me. No, I don't. God knows. I mean, Jesus said, do you know what those people did to me at the cross? Guess what? The Father poured out his own wrath upon his own son because he saw my sin on him. That was the love of God, though, enduring that for us. And he looked ahead, and he saw that I would need a Savior. It is God's amazing grace that saves.
turning to God's grace. It's the way of salvation. But don't turn God's grace into lasciviousness that allows you to exercise the flesh because you see, the lust of the flesh goes right back up to verse 1. Why does a person want the counsel of the ungodly? Like how it feels. Why do they stand in the way of sinners? It pleases their flesh. So they walk, they stand, and they sit in the seat of the scornful. Oh, that's just, hey, I don't like them anyway, so. Man, every time I get a chance to knock them down, I'm going to do it. You feel like you've been done wrong? Feel like that things aren't right? Uh, what about Jesus? What about his word? Walk according to his word. Do what you're supposed to do. Here I am pastor of Central Baptist Church. What if about four or five criticize, people criticize me? I know I'm here because I'm called of God. I know where I am because I'm called of God. Well, Lord, I'm not going to preach anymore because they said bad things about me. And I'm going to let people saying bad things about me separate me from my call as well as my duty to God. What I need to do is pray that if they're saying those things, whether it's false accusation or whatever, that they'll get right with God. That's my responsibility. Now, how can we have a walk going forward then? Well, we're told there. We are told going forward. We see... First of all, you delight in the law of the Lord. The law, speaking of the word of God, and you meditate in it day and night. But first, you've got to be a child of God. Understand this. Religious men, well-educated religious men, did not design the plan of salvation. Over the years, I've heard these things. Hey, do the best you can. God's going to weigh my good against my bad. Trouble is, you don't know that you're a sinner that's come short of the glory of God. Well, if I join the church, I'll be fine. If I say these prayers each day, I'll be fine. Hey, I got baptized. I was confirmed. I went through a Bible class. Hey, they told me to say these words. If I'd say these words then, and, and, and just say it in a prayer, then I'd be all right. Kind of like hocus pocus, you know? These are the magic words. No, you are entering into a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When I have a wedding rehearsal, they say the right words, but they walk out of here not married yet. Because those words, although they'll say the next day at the wedding the same words, now it's different because it's confirmed. And they walk out, they've made that commitment. 
and they walk out together to love, to honor, to cherish, till death do us part. To keep myself only to thee. To love, regardless of what happens. You know, when you make that commitment, let me show you the difference. How many in here can say that since you got saved, you've never messed up? Raise your hand up high. Okay. Because we'll, we'll have an invitation for liars, too. Um, now, Ephesians chapter 5 shows that salvation is like the marriage commitment. As a matter of fact, marriage is a picture of salvation, not salvation, a picture of marriage. Now, if I say love, honor, and cherish, and she all of a sudden says, you know what? I'm not going to clean this house again. I'm not going to cook for you again. I'm just going to sit in here and watch television and eat bonbons. I may not like it. Try to put my foot down and have a royal argument. But I'm not going to quit loving her, honoring her. And I'm not going to leave her. Because it's till death do us part. And vice versa. I don't eat bonbons. Now, if it's ice cream, that's different. It's, I think it's in the Greek somewhere. It's okay on ice cream. Now, now, what I'm saying is this. We've all broken our com commitments to the Lord, and yet we're still saved. We still love Him if you've received Him as your Lord and Savior. But He has never once broken His promise to us. You know what? If you'll come just as you are to, to him today. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. Just like we are right now. Just while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you. You don't change yourself for him. You receive him as your Lord and Savior and he'll change you. Give your heart to him today, and you can walk out of here knowing Jesus Christ is Savior. But as a Christian, if you are saved, there's no doubt about that. What counsel are you walking in? What way are you standing in? What seat are you sitting in? Where are you with God? What are you doing that God has impressed upon your heart to do and you're doing it faithfully with all your heart? God asked himself that question. We all do. If we're saved. Well, you know what? There's no better place than in God's house. In the counsels of God and the very center of your inner person to come to an altar and do business with God today. Now, if you're not sure if you died that heaven's your home, then you come and let us open the Bible and show you how you can know that for sure before you leave here today. Either way, a saved person can walk out of here right with God. An unsaved person can walk out of here saved, knowing he's on his way to heaven. So, what is so important in your life? 
that you would put that above getting right with God. Because one day, you won't. You'll give an account, not only before God, but before all heaven, of why you considered something else more important than being right with God. And you're going to feel like the most foolish person that ever lived. Get right with God. Let's bow our heads, please.